Hey, before I get into my announcements, I just wanted to say a few words on the horrific murders and hate crimes in Atlanta the other night. This is but the latest disturbing display in our country of violence rooted in white supremacy and misogyny. And before anyone wonders how this could have happened, unfortunately, we should not be surprised. Just look to our history, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, the sending of Japanese Americans to concentration camps during World War II, and more. This is what happens when we don't confront the rot in our systems. This is what happens when we continue to allow white supremacy and misogyny to plague our society. We frequently deny their existence and more often simply turn a blind eye to them. And we are not and will not be better than this until we look these evils in the eye, admit that they are alive and well in our society, and root them out. My heart goes out to the Asian American community, and I would encourage you all to look up charities and organizations to donate to and activist groups you can become a part of in order to put an end to Asian hate. I'll be posting links in the episode description to a few organizations and will be directing April's patron charity donation to one of these groups. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to all of our patrons who make this show possible, with a special thanks to our producer status patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. I appreciate it so much that you all have chosen to support the show and that you've decided to help fund independent creators in general. Thank you all so much. Your generosity really means the world. If anyone would like to join our Patreon team and get access to our patron-only Discord server, episode bloopers, my notes, and more, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. We're having our first monthly Star Wars trivia night in the Discord this weekend. You're definitely going to want to be a part of those. It's bound to be a lot of fun, and you can join the server for as little as $3 a month. If you can't support the show financially at the moment, that is okay. A huge way to help the podcast is by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. For anyone who hasn't done so yet, go ahead and pause the show and do that. It's okay. I'll wait. Okay, we're back. Let's get into our Search Your Reading segment. Last episode's discussion question was, Yoda argued that the Jedi need to remain within their mandate and accept the limits to their power in order to avoid their mistakes of the past. Qui-Gon argued that doing so results in new mistakes being made in the present. Is the fear of making mistakes influencing the current Order's behavior, or should Qui-Gon be more cautious when regarding the Jedi's relationship with power? We have an answer from Connor on Instagram who wrote, The Jedi are able to make mistakes. In doing so, they're able to evolve as an organization and become the best version of themselves. But I think Qui-Gon definitely should be a bit more cautious when trying to use power. They should make mistakes, but they need to watch how they deal with power. Thank you so much for this answer, and be sure to stay tuned for our next question at the end of this episode. Now let's get into episode 32 of Outer Rim Reads. (laughs) 
Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 32 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we'll be discussing chapters 27, 28, and a flashback section of Master and Apprentice, and I'm joined today by a leadership member of Fanatic Media and founder of What's New on Jakku, the Star Wars subsection of Fanatic Media, Priscilla Rose. Pris, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I am doing really well. Uh, I realized that I'd asked you quite a while ago if you wanted to come on the show. I think I had listened to... Um, an episode, I think you went on uh, Fred or Ian's podcast and uh, had a chat there. And I was like, you know what? You know, we've interacted a bit on Twitter. I like this conversation. I think I'll reach out. So I'm really glad to actually be making this happen. Glad to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks. Me too. Yeah, I always find it really fun talking with all of you guys. It's especially interesting hearing what you guys sound like because I talk to you very <laughs> frequently on Twitter. But, you know, it's a real person behind that, uh, that screen, right? Yes. I am not a bot, can confirm, <laughs> but it always is, um, you know, always a nice change of pace to actually get the, you know, the voice behind the accounts and all that. And, uh, you know, I've had some some good chats with Fred and Ian before. I'm glad to uh, glad to have a, a what hopefully will be a good chat <laughs> this evening. Um, but so I'm glad to to have you on the show, Pris. Um, for any listeners who aren't familiar with you through you know, Star Wars Twitter, could you give a brief background of kind of your introduction to the Star Wars fandom and then specifically with Master and Apprentice? So I'm the girl with the Princess Leia tattoo. <laughs> it went viral on Reddit, but it it's also been seen around Twitter and Facebook. But essentially, I've just always really loved Star Wars. I was a really, not popular, but I was like a big part of Tumblr fandom <laughs> way back in like 2011 with Super Hulock and Star Wars and Marvel and all that stuff. And then I kind of left fandom internet. Okay. And just did my own thing and enjoyed things. <laughs> and then I just, with the pandemic and everything, in early 2020, I decided to join Star Wars Twitter and start writing about geeky media mm. and especially Star Wars. And that's really how it happened. And I also started reading canon Star Wars novels. I had actually already read Master and Apprentice, okay. but I had read it in a time in which I don't think I... I don't think I had paid enough attention to sure. it, so I obviously like went over it for <laughs> this because it was when it came out. It seems like the pandemic has kind of forced a lot of people, like you know, back into either back into or you know, for the first time into just creative outlets that maybe they otherwise you know wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have jumped into. So I'm glad that you know you're back. You're on Star Wars Twitter, uh, inspired by the boredom of the pandemic. And uh, I I did uh, I, I remember when you were tweeting about the kind of like your you know known as the uh, the girl with the Leia tattoo because um, I remember when that was going around at least Twitter. Uh, I wasn't uh, and am still not kind of that engaged with the Star Wars Reddit, but I did not know until just moments ago that I have a celebrity on the show. So this makes it even better. <laughs> ha ha ha. Very funny. It's funny. It didn't it didn't blow up on Star Wars Reddit. It blew up on Tattoo Reddit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, which is just like the weirdest part about it because I'm used to like, I've, I've had occasional weird randomly viral tweets, 
Interestingly sure. enough, my most popular tweet was me ranting about animation, um, which is nothing new because as anyone who knows me knows, I'm like obsessed with Studio Ghibli and Avatar The Last yep. Airbender and Korra <laughs> and all that fun stuff. Yeah, it was Tattoo Reddit that really liked Leia, so... Good on I mean, them. It, it is a great tattoo. It is a great tattoo. So uh, <laughs> Thank you. I know they have the movie like uh isn't there a movie the the girl with the dragon tattoo? And I think they should make the yes. sequel the girl with the Leia tattoo. Uh, <laughs> so they actually have like five or six sequels to oh. that movie. It's based on a book and it is very dark. Like extremely oh, dark. God. Okay, well we'll we'll take the spin-off, you know, kind of in a in a lighter direction. We'll make a children's yes, version. The girl with the Leia tattoo <laughs> coming to children's sections of Barnes and Noble or theaters or whatnot near you. <laughs> yeah. Well that I'm glad to uh to to have you on the show to talk to Master and Apprentice. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to revisit at least these chapters for this episode. Um, they yes. are, you know, when I was going through them again, they are a little bit shorter, but um, as it as it turns out, often with this book and with Claudia's writing, even if the page count is small, the content and the substance is great. So yes, we love Claudia. <laughs> yes. Oh, we love Claudia. We have blah, blah, blah. we love Claudia, uh, and feel free to just heap on the praise as you know me and other guests have been doing all season long. So yes. <laughs> if you ever need she to, she follows me on Instagram, <laughs> so maybe I am famous. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't mean to to deflate the value. She followed me as well, and I just like no, had we're a, we're know, popular <laughs> together, right? That's yes. what that is. Yes. <laughs> There's a select few, and we are among those few. So, Claudia, if you're listening, thank you for making us. We famous. love you. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We love Claudia Gray, especially covering uh, covering this book. It's really fantastic, and I can't wait to get into her High Republic writing. Hopefully, soon enough. Me too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've got some some good chapters and the flashback. Um, in front of us today. I never have a summary prepared for the flashback section, so we can dive right in. Pretty much with this flashback, it seems like the most intense and darkest one that we've gotten in the entire book so far. Yeah. Mostly they've been confined to the Jedi Temple, but this really, it took a dark turn. <laughs> Did you have any kind of general thoughts on this flashback? Um, isn't it Dooku and Qui-Gon and they're in like they're essentially in a battle um they are chasing a bounty hunter um yes that's right and her followers Shenda Shenda Maul I think Shenda Maul yes. Maul that's my biggest uh, problem with this entire <laughs> book is that I don't know how to pronounce half of anyone's names that was my only <laughs> problem with reading I wish there was like uh, I know there's some books where there's kind of like a at the end of the book, like there's a glossary and pronunciation for different words. I, you know, was really hoping, or at least I hope that one day there will be the same thing for like Star a Wars books. Guide. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that would yep. be great. I'll make a whole book that's just a pronunciation guide for Star Wars things. That I think would be really successful, and you should do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Yungan and Dooku are chasing this bounty hunter. They, they've traced her or tracked her to the planet Numidian Prime. And uh, there's this really intense, or not really, it's, it's kind of like a brief chase scene where Qui-Gon seems to, or Young-Gon seems to have located Shenda Maul on his scanners and he is separated from Dooku. I guess they were covering ground, you know, separately. And he lets Dooku know that he is... Um, 
or he, he lets Dooku know that he's chasing after her, and he says, quote, track me, and his voice cracked at the end. <laughs> and I was like, hashtag puberty problems. Yeah. <laughs> Even- <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> if I remember correctly, she says something like, I've killed someone who's 13 and 15, but never 14. You can fill in the gap. And yep. I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> it's like just 14-year-old <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn. It's such a... <laughs> We're just reminded that, yeah, even kind of like the voice cracks and puberty and all that, it, um, you know, he even he's not immune to it. So, yeah, it's um, interesting to think about, like, how many dark things young Jedi Padawans like have to witness. That is a really good point, And that's exactly what um, I, kind of happens in this flashback. But, you know, even earlier in the book, Young Gan and Dooku are like fighting in legitimate, you know, wars and battles mm-hmm. and all that. And it's like. You know, as a teenager, I I couldn't hope to have done any of that. Yeah. Um, Um, That's one thing I really do um, like about Master and Apprentice is that mm. we never really get to see Dooku as a real authentic Jedi, you know? Yeah. It's, I I know, or at least I've been told that Dooku Jedi Lost is kind of the sister book to this one. I haven't read that one yet. I haven't either. Um, but I do love kind of like the Dooku moments that we get in mm-hmm. this book. You know, even as brief as they are, just exploring his relationship as a master yes. with Young Gan Jin. You know, and in this particular flashback, we see that maybe he has started down the darker path. But, you know, I, I do enjoy seeing him in a different light than just kind of like the big baddie behind the Separatist uh, alliance. Yeah, oh, so, for sure. It's much, it's it's really interesting to see him in a new light. Um, I think it gives a, de- a more depth to his character. Oh, for sure. You know, to show that even at some point he was, you know, a, a regular Jedi just like anyone else, you know, and he's not always been the evil guy. Uh, it, yeah. it does add, add a lot of depth to his character. And I think Claudia has a knack or a great knack for adding depth to really any character she writes about. Yes, uh, we and, love Claudia. We <laughs> <laughs> <me> too. <laughs> not for the last time on this podcast. That's the so. thing I think I appreciate the most about all the canon Star Wars novels is that they give such depth to characters mm. we didn't know about. Like, um, obviously, Dooku and Qui-Gon and, all, and just all of them in Master and Apprentice. I mean, what we learn about um, Sabe in Queen's Shadow yeah. and Queen's yeah. Peril, just like, I think people take for granted how easy it is for books to further develop characters that wouldn't be able to be developed in a movie. Because mm. maybe it isn't as interesting visually to see on screen, but emotionally to read what they go through is very interesting, in my opinion. I, I totally love agree. character building books. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, whatever. I, I like, <laughs> I appreciate them. I mean, coming from covering Thrawn in season one to Master and Apprentice in this season, it is a very different read because there is, where in other books like Thrawn, maybe there's, you know, not as many action scenes as maybe in like Alphabet Squadron. But, um, you know, in Thrawn, I think there are more action sequences than in this book. But Claudia is showing time and time again through her writing that, you know, she can sprinkle action sequences here and there, but really the heart of her writing and the and the value, the unique value of her writing specifically is that, you know, and, and I'm not the only one to have said this on the show, but no one writes characters as well or as deeply as she can, as she does. 
and she has shown that time and time again, you know, with Qui-Gon, with Obi-Wan, with all of the kind of supporting characters, and also even in kind of like sparse flashback scenes with a guy like Dooku. It's really yeah. an incredible talent. <laughs> and so Shenda Maul ambushes Young Gon. Um, she has the high ground, so wherever older Obi-Wan is, he's probably very proud of her. Um, <laughs> she has the, the high ground, and she has her blaster trained on him, and basically... Young Gun starts to stall. Um, and, you know, he admits to her that, you know, yeah, he's not really a fully grown Jedi, to which she responds, quote, I've eaten cheese older than you. And yeah. I thought that was an incredible insult. I definitely, I like all the insults in Master and Apprentice. It definitely gives it a younger audience feel, yeah. though. I, yeah. I, will, I don't know what the target audience was originally. I didn't, like, look that up. It is a different, I, I think books like maybe Queen's Peril, Queen's Shadow might be geared towards a, a younger adult audience, but I think this might be kind of like in the, maybe in the middle, you know, compared to books like perhaps uh, Alphabet Squadron. Um, the writing is accessible for, you know, for younger audiences as well. But, I, you know, it, it is kind of like a, a change of pace here or there when she adds kind of like those humorous notes in there. Yes. Uh, you know, kind of lightens the mood. And, you know, the, the mood in this flashback needs to be lightened because it, it gets very dark. Um, yes. Where Shenda Maul basically tells Young Gon about this game that she's playing with her killings as a bounty hunter. And basically, she tells him she's trying to kill someone at every age, at least yep. up to 200, and that she's even killed a four-day-old baby. Yeah. And to which, like, you know, she she first starts out, like, you know, with a with a joke to Young Gun, and then instantly just we realize how bad she is. And how serious she is about killing him. Exactly. And and she does end up trying to kill him, but it's really like, you know, we, we've been in introduced to different, you know, different villains of all different kinds across Star Wars. And, you know, Shenda Maul is obviously a, a minor villain, but to see someone who kills literally for the fun of it, it, that was very, very sickening. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. And and she tells Young Gun, like you had uh, mentioned earlier, that, you know, she hasn't killed someone of his age yet. So she's, you know, getting ready to uh, shoot him. And then all of a sudden she is struck by a flash of light from behind Young Gun, and it knocks her kind of down the hill into an undergrowth where Young Gun can't see her anymore, and it's Dooku who has arrived. And he, you know, walks past him down into the underbrush, and Young Gun decides to not get involved. And I'm just going to read this section here and kind of get your reaction to it, uh, where Dooku says to Shenda Maul after he strikes her with whatever this was, quote, you think to murder my Padawan merely to fulfill your pitiful ambitions. Yeah. You find yourself impressive, do you? You know nothing of true power. Brilliant light flashed again and again. Qui-Gon still couldn't see it directly, though he could feel his skin prickling and his hair standing on end. The air tasted of ozone. What were your thoughts on this? It was really jarring to read for the first time where... I suppose as a as a reader, we can guess that he's using force lightning on her. It's really out of nowhere, and you know, it's it's jarring. Definitely some dark undertones and some foreshadowing there. I think what's important, and that Claudia like nails nails it here, is that 
the progression from being a good Jedi to becoming a Sith does not have to be this quick thing. It can be this Mm. slow, gradual process. And I think it's important to include things like this, especially when dealing with a character like Dooku, because I can't think of a timeline in like where he is and in what he ends up becoming dark. But I think it's important to include these little details because that is ultimately where he goes and he is ultimately power hungry and he does ultimately not follow the Jedi code. You know what I mean? Like, I think these little details is kind of what makes or breaks novels like this and claudia always definitely hits it right on the head she delivers yeah and you know there there is actually kind of like a a more not really comical moment but there's uh, i think qui-gon in the next chapter mentions that you know at the first kind of break with jedi orthodoxy like you don't just switch to the dark side just like that and uh and i think you know you you brought up a really great point where it is kind of like unless you nab it unless you see it and catch it early like it can be very like very much this gradual Mm -hmm. fall earlier in earlier flashbacks like we kind of got the sense that something was on Dooku's mind, but you know it, he seemed like he was still he was he was still fine. He was still training Qui Gon. It was very young or very early into their master apprentice relationship. And then here, you know, we don't know how much time has passed, but clearly things have been boiling over just a bit. I don't know, you know, like you, I don't know where he is currently on the timeline of his fall, but. You know, if he's using force lightning here, we can assume that... He's not far off. Exactly, exactly. And it is really a dark moment where, you know, Yungan is hearing Shendamal's screams of pain, and then everything kind of stops. And he walks into the underbrush, and it kind of pleads for Dooku to stop. Like, you know, we've already got her, you know, let's just bring her in to custody now, and... Uh, I guess my question to you, is this compassion from Young Gun, or do we get the idea that he senses something has really gone horribly wrong with whatever just happened? Because he didn't see it. He could just hear it, which is maybe I even worse. Both. A little bit of both, yeah. Maybe. Um, you know, because we do know he is very compassionate yeah, for a Jedi. Yeah, I would Jedi. definitely um, say he's probably one of the most compassionate Jedi. Yeah. I think additionally, it feels wrong. Yeah. Qui-Gon never fully feels like a Jedi in the proper sense. He always feels like almost almost like the rebellious one. He's very gray. Mm. He's very in the center, but he never strays to the dark. And I think that's important. So I think when dealing with Jedi that are straying towards the dark, but also Jedi that are strict and completely always follow the code, he's very cautious about the decisions they're making because to him it's more important to do what's right than to do what you're told. Yeah, and, you know, whether it's doing, you know, whether it's what you're told within the context of kind of like the Jedi mandate or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, here he can probably sense that something is, you know, uh, that Dooku has kind of strayed, too far in this moment from uh, from the code or even just from what's right. Um, yeah. And I, I'll touch on that as we close up this flashback. There's this um, this quote, let me see, at the top of it. So Dooku does lower his hand from Shendamol's body. So that is pretty much con- confirmation that he was, you know, shooting Sith lightning, force lightning into her. And Dooku asks if Qui-Gon is okay. And he responds, quote, Yes, Master. Every other time Dooku had saved his life, Qui-Gon had thanked him. He couldn't now. What had his master done? And I guess my closing thought to this 
is that just as Rahara in an earlier chapter thought that no criminal, despite anything they've done, deserves a life of slavery, here we see that Yangon realizes that not even Shenda Mol, who was literally killed for sport, a four-day-old baby even, deserves this kind of of brutal torture. And, you know, we were built up with this horrifying image of everything that she's done in this flashback, but even Yungan knows that she doesn't deserve whatever Dooku just did. Yeah, I think it really shows um, his level of compassion towards people, but also just Dooku's disregard for compassion, which is what ultimately is a part of what sends him, you know? In this moment, we heard from what Dooku kind of initially said to Shendomo that, you know, what he was doing was out of saving his Padawan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he so went I think too far. Wa- but he went too far, exactly. You know, there was, you know, maybe an inkling of actually, you know, trying to do the right thing because he knows that, you know, Qui-Gon's about to be killed for sport. But then, you know, he did take it too far and he got caught up in, you know, maybe wanting to make sure that she would pay for what, for what she's done, for what she was about to do. And, you know, yeah, he, he went too far. And that's how this flashback ends. And with, with Young Gun having this very strong sense that something did go horribly wrong. And so I can read my summary for chapter 27 and, that we, and, and then we can get discussing that one. Yeah. In his quarters... Qui-Gon attempts, without success, to contact his former master, Dooku, seeking assurance that he is pursuing the right path in his interpretation of his vision. Obi-Wan soon enters and confronts his master about the sudden turn of events he announced over breakfast. The Padawan is confused at his master's pivot and stance regarding prophecies and visions, letting Qui-Gon know that not long ago he had told Obi-Wan that visions are not meant to be interpreted literally. However, Qui-Gon does not give ground, insisting that he must humbly listen to what the Force is telling him. The argument ends with neither master nor apprentice conceding their position. Qui-Gon is convinced compromise over the treaty will only place Pijali lives in danger, while Obi-Wan is insistent that the Jedi must not go beyond their mandate. Later, Obi-Wan takes matters into his own hands and contacts the Jedi Council. The chapter begins kind of on a on a comical note uh, where, you know, Dooku hasn't answered Qui-Gon's messages. I kind of imagined, you know, him leaving Qui-Gon's texts on red um, <laughs> scene uh, at 6.27 p.m. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, it, it is a very tense chapter. What were your initial thoughts on chapter 27? Well, actually, one of my favorite quotes is um, is from this chapter. It's really? when Qui-Gon says, memory is, in the end, all we truly possess. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that It was that a very one. deep moment. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he likes to do that. But um, <laughs> it's obviously, it's not surprising in the context of, like, what we know now about Obi-Wan based on, like, everything, but just based on how he behaved in the novel, it is obviously a little jarring that he went behind Qui-Gon's back, but I understand why he felt like it was necessary. Obi-Wan has always been very, you know, straightforward with everything. Yeah. And so it doesn't 
surprise me that he contacted the council, but I, it feels wrong. And I think he feels that it feels wrong because ultimately he knows it's quote unquote, the right thing to do as a Jedi, but as a Padawan, it feels like he's betraying him. For sure. And I think that hurts Obi-Wan. I mean, you know, when, when we get to that part, it is, you know, we see that there is conflict in him that he pretty much is approaching it from the position that his hand is more or less forced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that this conversation that turns into an argument with Qui-Gon um, was really kind of like his last ditched attempt to kind of get on the same page with him, um, you know, before he senses or kind of feels that the situation on Pijal can only get worse if he can't, you know, get Qui-Gon to see reason as he sees it from his position. Mm-hmm. But throughout the book, and, you know, in this chapter, and, and you pointed it out that, you know, we, we see where he's coming from, that we understand where he's coming from. Uh, you know, it might be a controversial decision, but Claudia is able to write these characters and these situations in this book where, you know, we can see kind of all sides to the picture. Uh, you know, she paints a very full picture with each character. So, you know, that we're, we're getting all the information we need to understand why Obi-Wan's doing this, to understand why Qui-Gon's doing what he's doing. It's very masterfully written by Claudia, but Obi-Wan does feel like, uh, at the end, like that's all he's left to be able to do. Um, yeah, like my hands are tied. This is just the decision I have to make to do what's right. Exactly, And that's Qui-Gon's thing, is that he yep. believes that he should ultimately <laughs> do what's right. So I think in a way, yep. although Qui-Gon would feel betrayed at the same time, if that's what Obi-Wan feels is the right thing to do, then I think in a way Qui-Gon would also be proud of him for making that decision. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> kind of like sticking to one's principle because that's yeah. what they're both doing at the end of the day. They're both kind of like this is, you know, this chapter is from a certain point of view pretty mm-hmm. much where they both have an image of what they feel and understand is the right thing to do. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's just but, clashing. But um, on that from a certain <laughs> point of view. Hey. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. <laughs> that was great. Uh, <laughs> You know, after kind of Obi-Wan is observing the most recent souvenir that Qui-Gon has taken from the cave in one of the earlier chapters, you know, and Qui-Gon drops that uh, really deep line about, you know, memory is all that we truly possess in the end, which is very, very Qui-Gon to say, because he's yes. very minimalistic very as it goes. Stoic. And, yeah, very stoic. Devor, if you're listening to this, I listen to your Greek philosophy episode <laughs> on the Jedi. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, so Obi-Wan pretty much asks Qui-Gon, you know, what the hell are you doing? Because, um, you know, he did kind of drop a bombshell at breakfast, uh, I think that day. And Obi-Wan asks Qui-Gon a very valid question, um, you know, where Qui-Gon's insisting, you know, hey, I'm just listening to the Force. That's what I'm doing. And Obi-Wan asks, you know, are you sure you're not just seeing what you want yeah. to see? And I feel like all this time, at least I've been on kind of Team Qui-Gon, where it's like, you know, I, I, I like his philosophy and stance regarding the Force and the Jedi Order, but here, it's a very valid question from Obi-Wan, where should we be doubting Qui-Gon a little bit? Because it is kind of playing right into his thoughts on the Governance Treaty, and it seems like, you know, like Obi-Wan's saying and suggesting that he's seeing what he wants yeah. to see. I think what's also interesting is throughout the, the novel— 
Obi-Wan is consistently doubting himself and feeling like he's failing yep. Qui-Gon as a Padawan. And Qui-Gon feels the exact same way that he yep. feels like he's maybe not the best master. And in this um, chapter, I believe, is the chapter where Obi-Wan actually sees that how much Qui-Gon cares about him. Yep. <laughs> like he makes the comment about fighting yeah. and, and and why do you make me do all these basic fights and Qui-Gon's like because that's ultimately what's going to protect you and it's not this flashy garbage it's yeah. it's <laughs> it's at the end of the day a block is a block you don't need to do some fancy yeah. roll and a flip to do a block just block them that's what's going to keep you safe not these cool moves and that era yeah. of of the Jedi was full of flashy moves as we know from the prequels um, yeah. I mean comparatively to (laughs) the sequels or the original trilogy like that was like the era of flashy you know saber moves and um ultimately qui-gon cares more about obi-wan like as an individual than these vanity moves essentially (laughs) um and i think it's i think it was really cool to like actually watch the light bulb go off in Obi-Wan's head. It's been flickering at times in this book. You know, there's been multiple kind of smaller moments where, you know, Obi-Wan has realized, and also with the reverse with Qui-Gon, that they've realized that they care about each other Mm -hmm. and that the other cares about, you know, them. But the fact that they never actually say it to each other's face, (laughs) um, you know, that kind of is what holds them back in the end. But you're right, at uh, at the kind of like the end of the chapter before he decides to call the council, he does realize uh, that Qui-Gon has been caring about him, which is, you know, what we've wanted to yeah. scream at him this whole time. Um, it's like, you dummy. It's like when your parents um, tell you you can't do something, not because <laughs> they don't love you. It's because yeah. they love you and they don't want you doing something that's, like, dangerous and would hurt yourself, you know? And that's, yeah, like, we just don't see it like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, like, Obi-Wan is a teenager here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just like I used to get frustrated at Harry Potter in, in book five, where he was just very angsty. It's like, at the end of the day, he's a teenager there. Obi-Wan's a teenager like, gosh, here. It's like, what were we like, like at you know? 14 and 15? <laughs> right? <laughs> we were not perfect at, at that age. And uh, <laughs> I do have to remind myself of that whenever I tried to start to get annoyed with Obi-Wan kind of like being a little petulant. I was like, I was exactly like that. Maybe not with a cool lightsaber, but I tried. Um, (laughs) Basically, Qui-Gon's argument here is that instead of being kind of judgmental of the mystics, the Jedi mystics and their visions, he's trying to humbly listen to what the Force is telling him. And, you know, we're kind of left to wonder, you know, is he is he speaking kind of like truth here? Is mm-hmm. he kind of caught on the on the high of the wave of like, oh, I just had a vision from the forest. It's yeah. it, it is a very kind of like these waters are very murky. But Obi-Wan decides to go full Jedi textbook on Qui-Gon and he says that, you know, wanting to see to the future and change her behavior accordingly, you know, it, it's not power that they're meant to have and that this can lead to darkness. And Qui-Gon responds, and you had pointed this out a connection earlier. That quote, not every disagreement with Jedi orthodoxy turns you into a Sith Lord overnight. Exactly. And I thought, like, as extreme as this is, you've got to think that there are some Jedi who believe that's exactly what happened. Um, and Yoda says it best. He says, like, Qui-Gon isn't searching for these visions. They're coming to them. He's not yeah. trying. So so Obi-Wan's like, well, and, and other members of the council are like, well, should we believe them? It's like, he's not asking for them they're happening so you can't really blame him you can't say oh it's um he's looking for this to happen he wasn't yeah 
it, it literally came to him. That's a that's a great point too, because that you know that finger keeps getting pointed at Qui Gon, where it's like you're trying to see into the future. He didn't you know, ask you're trying for to this. exactly, exactly. That is a really good point, and I overlooked that myself. You know, Qui Gon does say that, or Yoda says rather, the, like you had said that you know the vision is coming to him, and I think that sometimes because Qui Gon is so different in his approach to the Force and regarding prophecies and visions than other members of the Council, that sometimes maybe the finger is pointed unfairly at him. And, you know, we do see that, you know, happening here with Obi-Wan and also in the next chapter with the Council. That's a really great point. And I guess I was also wondering, you know, because Obi-Wan says, you know, that doing so can lead to darkness. And this is a question that's come up earlier in this season where, and I think Qui-Gon touched on this earlier in the book, is that just because certain things can lead to darkness... Doesn't mean they will. Doesn't mean they will. And I guess my question to you, like, aren't some risks worth taking? You know, we can trust Qui-Gon to not fall to the darkness, but it seems like everyone else doesn't trust him with this knowledge and with this approach. But you know, it, like you said, it doesn't mean that he will fall to darkness, but maybe that's Obi-Wan not having faith I in his master. I think so. I think ultimately, it depends on your personality. I'm about to make a really terrible analogy, but it's the truth. <laughs> Certain people can drink on the weekends or maybe once every couple of weeks or once a month and they can party and they're fine and certain people if they do it it becomes an addiction and then they have an addiction and it becomes a problem and they're not able to drink and so ultimately i think certain paths to the dark side are the same way i mean certain people are more likely to have adverse reactions to certain things or to become addicted to certain feelings. So if you know, like someone like Qui-Gon, for instance, who's Mm. very strong within himself, within his knowledge, and within his connection to the Force, and I mean, Qui-Gon knows that he's not going to turn dark. So I would find it more okay for him to behave in certain ways that might, quote-unquote, lead to the darkness because we know he's not going to. Where someone like Anakin, for example obviously um not the best example of someone who wouldn't turn to the dark side (laughs) he had always had qualities that Mm. kind of left him on the line he was always kind of on the verge and so obviously a character like that i would trust less a character like dooku i would trust less a character like obi-wan who is so i stick to the book i trust more Maybe at the end of the day, what Obi-Wan needs to do before he goes in to confront Qui-Gon, maybe he's just got to sit down in his quarters and watch the Star Wars movies to see, hey, he doesn't end up turning to the dark side. You know, it's yeah. uh, Obi-Wan he's needs to watch the Star Wars films. He's got to meditate on it. <laughs> you know, and, and I guess like with Anakin, the signs were there with yeah. Dooku, you know. That's what I mean, you know. not like, oh, in <laughs> yeah. the end, they didn't make those choices, but yeah, more so yeah. from the beginning, there was kind of obvious signs of malice yeah. versus with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, there were absolutely nuns. You know what I mean? So I guess you have to, it depends on how they behave. I mean, very compassionate yeah. characters are not the ones turning to the dark side. I mean, and that's not to say that Anakin didn't have compassion. I think that with a position and stance like Yoda, like Qui-Gon, or not, uh, with Yoda and, and Obi-Wan, 
is that they treat it very cautiously. Uh, and I think there is some caution in what Qui-Gon is doing. You know, he's not throwing himself into all these things that can lead to darkness. You know, he might be throwing himself into this vision, but, you know, the Force can speak to you in the light as it can also speak to you in the dark. And, you know, I, I can see why the Jedi would be cautious because, like, you, you never know when you might just slip down the path more than you intend. But with a character like Qui-Gon, who has shown time and time again that he is very firm in his foundation with the light, I think that maybe other Jedi and Obi-Wan here might uh, just have to have a little bit more faith in Qui-Gon. Uh, I think he deserves it. I think he's he's earned their trust, uh, but they just might not see it that way. So at, at the end of kind of like their conversation, uh, they're firmly standing on opposite ends of kind of like the the arena yeah. where they are both convinced that, the, that what the they're right doing thing. is the yeah. right thing. Exactly. And Obi-Wan is very convinced, like, you know, in the Jedi mandate that, you know, this is not within our mandate to do what you're doing. Like, we, we are not supposed to do this. And, you know, Qui-Gon sees that he has mm -hmm. a point. He's thinking to himself, quote, it was important for Jedi not to become arrogant, not to impose their wishes and values on all others around them. But he says to Obi-Wan, quote, in this case, my Padawan, we cannot both work within our mandate and do exactly. what is right. I've chosen the one. And I, so I don't, that's why I say I don't think Qui-Gon would be mad at Obi-Wan for his decision because ultimately they are doing what they feel is right. And, that, and that's a very difficult thing to to reconcile, you know, with what Qui-Gon's choosing to do, because he sees the value in what Obi-Wan's yeah. saying, but it just, at the end of the day, when he's in a position to save lives, you know, he's willing to break with their mandate. And kind of like, at what point do you break with what you're told in order to pursue exactly. what's right? And like you had hinted, when Obi-Wan, or before Obi-Wan is leaving the room, Qui-Gon decides to finally tell him why he's been keeping him at the lightsaber basics. And, you know, he says, quote, I wanted you to be grounded in your technique. I wanted you to understand the basic cadences so well that they would become instinct, so that you would be almost untouchable. Above all, I wanted to give you the training you needed to accomplish anything you set your mind to later on. And I don't know if you've read the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Have I you read have. that one? I thought of a point here where I feel like this connected where um, the only reason that Obi-Wan was able to beat Grievous, where so many others had failed, exactly. was, beca was because his form was the most basic and that he had mastered that, where like no matter if Grievous copied the basics, you know, he was untouchable in how solid the foundation was. I, I love that point. It's almost like there's this really weird, I have like three analogies for this, but there's this really <laughs> weird film called, I think it's called Annihilation. It's actually with Oscar Isaac and um, she's mirroring herself. There's this like alien that is her and she's mirroring herself and it's like a clone. And ultimately, sometimes you have to like, in a lot of media in which something is copying you, even if you're playing a computer, mm. sometimes the most simple moves is what yeah. gets you an advantage in a weird way because people focus so much on the complicated stuff yeah. that sometimes, like, going back to the basics, like, even in chess, like, I've read that sometimes people will pull really, really basic moves to 
kind of instill fear in someone. And mm. I think Obi-Wan, thanks to Qui-Gon, does stuff like that best. Yeah. You know, he is very much the master of his craft. And his craft is, you know, like you were yeah. saying, it doesn't need to be the flashiest, you know, as long as it gets the job done. You know, like you said, a block is a block. But, you know, when you master that so well, you know, you can become untouchable. You know, he defeated Grievous. He defeated Anakin. You know, in the end, Anakin was going for the dramatic flip and Obi-Wan was like, nah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we see that it does pay off. This novel makes the prequels like 10 times more sad. <laughs> and so oh, does yeah. <laughs> Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril. Uh, like don't this. Get, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I know. It just like makes my heart hurt. It's so unfair because, you know, especially because, you know, we know how it ends for yeah. Padme, for Qui-Gon, for Obi-Wan as well, and Aww. for Anakin. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> why are there onions in the room? Uh, <laughs> it hurts. And the chapter ends, you know, with Obi-Wan, like, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you know, he's realizing that, oh, shit, you know, Qui-Gon has cared about me this whole time, more than I ever do. And I'm, I literally wrote in all caps in the margin, say that to his face! Like, it's just... <laughs> uh, but, you know, he didn't. He's thinking it to himself, and he ends up contacting the Jedi Council, and he realizes he's going over Qui-Gon's head. He doesn't like that he's doing this, but he feels, just as Qui-Gon feels, what he's doing is right. Obi-Wan is kind of convinced that this is all that he's left to do, and I kind of... You know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, Snitchy Wan Kenobi uh, is, is... Snitchy Wan Kenobi. <laughs> He's snitching on Qui-Gon. So. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and that is how chapter 27 ends. I can give my summary for 28 and then we can get into his talk with the council. Yes. The council answers Obi-Wan's call and the Padawan convenes via hologram with the Jedi Masters. Most of the Council are frustrated with both Qui-Gon and Rail, insisting that the two get recalled from their assignments. However, Obi-Wan points out that the Zerka threat to Pajal is too legitimate for Qui-Gon to be recalled, and that removing the Lord Regent from Pajal would only further destabilize the planet. Grandmaster Yoda comes to Qui-Gon's aid, admitting that, although Qui-Gon might be placing too much faith in the Vision, the Council is wrong to suggest the Force is not at work through him. On Pijal's moon, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan observe a Zerka mining facility that had previously been attacked by the Blackguards. To the Jedi's surprise, they find out that Zerka have been discarding their mined colon crystals as trash. Suddenly, a mining droid explodes into flames as the Blackguards assault the facility. This kind of, I guess, kind of like the meat of this chapter is in Obi-Wan's discussion with the council. Yes. What were your kind of general thoughts on what happens in this chapter before we dive in? I, this is essentially a dive in. I really love um, the way Yoda handled this scene. Mm. I, Yoda gets a lot of hate on Twitter, but I'm a Yoda fan. <laughs> I stan him. No, uh, but you get what I mean. I, <laughs> Yoda stan. Um, I, um... I have a, a high appreciation for Yoda's logic and reasoning mm. and his careful calculations and considerations before making such harsh decisions. So when they're discussing Qui-Gon and whether or not his visions are valid and whether or not he's seeking them, yada yada, it's um, 
I think Yoda's input is the strongest and the deepest and the most important in this conversation. For sure. You know, and it was kind of unexpected because earlier in the book, his, you know, he, he had a kind of like a very pretty much an argument with Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and earlier in the book, you know, he had been kind of salty towards Qui-Gon. And so, salty. you know, <laughs> Yoda can be a salty boy. Um, you know, so it was very unexpected reading this to see that it was he out of, you know, the council who piped up to pretty much defend it's Qui-Gon. It's proof of how fair he is. This is true. He doesn't know, really play favorites. He ultimately, like, goes with what yeah. is the most right. You know, because, yeah, I think that's that's very, very true because he points out, you know, you know maybe the fault in what Qui-Gon's doing. You know, maybe he's diving mm-hmm. too much, you know, of a, like a headfirst nature into this vision. But also there could be the benefit of it as well. So I think, you know, he, he approaches it from a very, you know, grandmaster-like yes. uh, way, which is what you want. <laughs> I believe it's Yoda who who actually tells Obi-Wan that it's not what Qui- what they're going to have Qui-Gon do, it's what they're going to have him do. And that was exactly. really the... God, I can't remember the exact line, but I was like, boom! Like, Obi-Wan <laughs> went into this conversation being like, how do we get... What are they going to get Qui-Gon to do? How do we get him to change? Not realizing that by having this conversation, it's going to be him that has to go against Qui-Gon. Exactly. You know, he maybe thought that he could, like, offload it to the council. Yeah, but like, almost like no, he's, no, no. like, <laughs> delegating. Like, this is yeah. your responsibility. This is above my pay grade. And they were like, no, 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 we are going to send you, soldier. Like, sorry. <laughs> I mean, which, you know, it shows their trust in him, you know, where he's exactly. thinking, like, okay, this is definitely the work for, you know, other Jedi Masters. And they're like, no, you know, we trust you with this. This is what you're going to do. I, I love that, you know, and yeah. it was... A great moment from Yoda as well, where, you know, we see that, you know, even, you know, when Obi-Wan lays out the situation very bare for the council, they see the gravity of what's happening. And Yoda still thinks that Obi-Wan, you know, this young apprentice Mm -hmm. can handle it, which I thought was really great. You know, earlier in the book. He deserves it. (laughs) He does. He really does. And, you know, Qui-Gon has placed his trust in Obi-Wan, the council here as well. Uh, place their trust in him which it was good to see i trust obi-wan with my soul yes (laughs) as do i i trust my soul with his force ghost um yes they're besties uh, yes (laughs) i guess as the discussion first starts off you know we kind of start to see maybe a flaw in what qui-gon is doing when i think it's master uh poli uh, Depatian, Depat, Depatia. That's one uh, of those names I don't know how to right? say. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> but he's saying, quote, of course the treaty must somehow be changed to protect the people of Pijal, but disrupting the entire diplomatic process is dangerous, especially when multiple armed forces threaten the rule of law on Pijal and its moon. And, you know, up until now, we were kind of assuming that, oh, you know, the council can't see things as Qui-Gon does. You know, they're they're not treating kind of like the citizens mm-hmm. of Pijal with the proper respect that they need to. Like, they are in danger with this treaty. But, you know, here, Master Depatian, or, or however you pronounce it, is saying... Depatian. You know, he's saying, yes, it needs to be changed. Yeah. But this is a very volatile situation that Qui-Gon is kind of throwing the match yeah, on. Yeah, they're they acknowledge that there are problems, but they don't approve of the way Qui-Gon is going about fixing them in his yeah. view. And so they're ultimately trying to 
kind of keep the situation at bay and Qui-Gon feels like, well, it's gone too far. And so that's just kind of the head that they're at. Um, But I think what's important is that Qui-Gon isn't doing anything bad, truly. He's just, it's almost like they're managers and one person sees a process is hurting people and the other person says, well, but if we don't do it, this could be the side effect. And and it's it's less about in in either situation bad things can happen um so to them you might as well follow the procedure until things can be amended but to Qui-Gon like the time is now yeah uh, and you know, it's kind of like uh you know maybe the teachings of Dooku that are reflected in Rail who acts very like you know in the moment in the now like I have to act now and you yeah. know that that's kind of the approach that Qui-Gon has taken as well and this argument was touched on with, you know, in a, in a previous conversation between Qui-Gon and Yoda where, you know, Yoda knows, like, that there is danger in the governance treaty. Like, it's not perfect and it needs to be fixed, but if the ceremony doesn't go through, there's a lot of other planets that will suffer if this hyperspace corridor isn't opened to the Republic. And exactly. so, you know, really, like, everyone's trying to do the right thing just like in the last chapter like obi-wan and qui-gon are trying to do what they think is the right thing but it's kind of like you know choosing the lesser of the evils or like cost benefit analysis where it's you know it's like voting in the u.s like voting in (laughs) too real too real (laughs) it's like you know how can we minimize the damage but also try to do the right thing and it's just at the end of the day like it's a lose-lose um and you know how how do you Kind You've of described every government on earth. <laughs> it's a lose lose. I have never seen a single like government scenario or election or treaty in which everyone's been like, yep. you know what? This is just a win for humanity. No, it's always a lose lose. Even in Star Wars, yep. <laughs> we can't get, we Even can't escape in it. Star Wars. Damn it, Claudia. <laughs> too, too, real. too real. And so you know, like you had mentioned, and like we had uh, talked about, you know. Yoda does come to his rescue and there's this moment here you know where there's some kind of bite back from other council members at what Yoda's trying to do and Sacy Teen Master Sacy Teen replied with the textbook quote seeking to know the future is a path to the dark side and I think at this point it's intentional by Claudia that multiple times in recent chapters and in the book as a whole, Jedi have like repeated these certain mantras or phrases like not going beyond their mandate, the future always being in motion, seeking to know the future is a path to the dark side. And I think this is Claudia really showing us how much of a religion the Jedi are, where even some phrases might even seem to be like a little bit cultish at a certain it's point where they're like all repeating it. The Mandalorians. Like the um, Man- you know, it's all connected. <laughs> And I also think, in a way, it shows how Qui-Gon doesn't fit those definitions. Yeah. Like, he's kind of being accused, but he doesn't exactly fit those conditions. As Yoda then points out, he didn't seek visions of the future. They came to him. Exactly. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, living absolutely by these mantras that seeking to know the future is a path to the dark side, you know... Again, it's like it's more nuanced than that. And mm-hmm. Qui-Gon realizes that, you know, it is, but will it lead you there? Like, not if you not manage it correctly. Um, and, you know, I think that Yoda is taking kind of a middle ground here. I think Qui-Gon in general is kind of like in the middle between, you know, where the Jedi are 
in relation to the, like the light and dark, you know, he's more in the, mm-hmm. in the middle compared to them. Um, and I, I thought it was just very interesting to see that these phrases are just repeated over and over and over by the Jedi where it's like, it's very much ingrained. It's almost like if you say something many so them. many times, it'll become true. <laughs> like willing it into existence. Yeah. And, yeah. That's what it yeah. feels like. Like they're almost manifesting their own toxic future like they're very set in their ways um you know for better or for worse and we know how it ends up becoming you know for worse and obi-wan sees firsthand what qui-gon gets annoyed with with the council and as they're kind of like debating in a circle about you know their course of action without even like coming to a resolution and he's thinking quote are they truly going to waste time debating theoretical ethics instead of dealing with the crisis at hand and it's like qui-gon's teachings like the ghost of qui-gon is like hey my boy like this is what i'm talking about (laughs) i literally so i'm reading i i read on I read this book at least on a yeah. Kindle, and um, I underlined that sentence. Yep, I was like, <laughs> Qui Gon would be proud. <laughs> yep, and he kind of catches himself too. Like he's like, no, 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 they're they're looking at it from all sides. Yeah. Like this is yep. what they're supposed to do as the council. <laughs> so it's like that that clash and that struggle he, within Obi Wan within his own personal principles and what he's learned from his master, like definitely exactly debating exactly and it's interesting to see how those like you know kind of reconcile and and grow together as he grows as a jedi and you know we see where he ends up you know not as far down the line as qui-gon but you know he does kind of come to a compromise between the kind of the the clashing thoughts that we see uh here and you know he ends up on the council as well uh, and is very an important voice in the future for them too so it was just interesting to see that qui-gon's teachings are you know maybe subconsciously uh rubbing off on on obi-wan and the scene ends with the council trusting you know him to act uh with whatever they kind of tell him what to do like this is a job for you it was a really good moment um kind of like the last act of this chapter is when they're observing this mining facility and um you know pax is asking you know why they're only now turning their attention to this specific spot and obi-wan points out you know if the, if the Black Guards have attacked here before, it's got to be important to them, which means it's important to us. Exactly. And Qui-Gon praised Obi-Wan for the insight, but then wonders why the praise made Obi-Wan flinch. And I'm like, mm. I'm over here like, because he turned you in. Like, oh, uh, that's Caught. so awkward. <laughs> it's so awkward. It's a uncomfortable. Uh, very uncomfortable, which kind of sums up their relationship in this book as a whole. Pretty much. <laughs> And so we do get that twist where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan leave the Merricks, kind of uh, the Merricks is far enough where the facility can't pick the ship up, but they're close enough to the Jedi where they can keep them on their scanners if they need help. And we get the twist where the Jedi gets to the part of the complex where they're picking up these colon crystal readings, and they see that Zerka is dumping them in the trash. And... You know, this tells us that either Zerka isn't behind the Black Guards, or if they need the colon crystals, that the crystals aren't needed for the shields that we saw earlier in the chapters that kind of deflected the lightsabers. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, I, I guess, one of my theories reading along the book was that, you know, hey, you know, I think I mentioned in an earlier episode, like, what if Zerka is behind this and they're actually funding the same people who are also attacking their facilities, like this yeah. very complex plot. And like we find an insurance that, scam. You, talk more about that. Setting your house on fire um, just so you can get the money kind of thing. 
Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, people what? have done that. People have like destroyed their car, like purposely crashed it, or like set their house on fire so that they could cash out on the money. Oh my god! I did not know that was a thing. That's unfortunately a thing. Humanity at its finest. Oh, uh, I guess Zerka is a little maybe a step above humanity, but not really because they also have slaves. But they're like not into those insurance scams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the chapter ends with. Uh, the black guards showing up and they, you know, they blow up a, one of the mining droids and they're starting to attack the facility. Poor so droid. we know, poor, poor droid, you know, L3 is crying wherever she is for the droid. Um, but I guess here is kind of like the confirmation at the end here where the black guards are separate from Zerka, mm-hmm. where, you know, I don't think, unless they're really going over the top with their plan to kind of convince, like, you know, hey, we're separate entities, like, I don't think they would be destroying Zerka property or, like, you know, actively attacking them right now if they were the same. So I guess this is kind of confirmation that, yes, they are separate entities, and, you know, maybe they're trying to save the colon crystals here. So maybe they do need them. You know, we got some questions. We get some more answers. Or we get some answers, but we get even more questions. And that's how the chapter ends. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts on kind of like these chapters, at, you know, looking back as we're closing up? I really enjoyed them overall. Um, Claudia's brilliant. Claudia, if you're listening to this, <laughs> marry me now. Um, just Sorry, kidding. Alex. I'm engaged <laughs> to another, but you are invited to the wedding. <laughs> I I just really like how much they develop Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationships. Sure. And I think they're very um, vital to the development of their relationship to really show where they were where they are, and where they're going. The picture becomes more complete as the book goes on, which is, you know, yeah. you know, which we'd hope is what naturally happens. But Claudia, you know, again, I just, I love how she's able to so completely paint the angles from where each person is coming from. Um, and, you know, at the end of this chapter, throwing a little bit of a, of a twist, another twist in there, and adding some you know, adding some spices into the mixture now and, you know, whatever Spicy. goes down from now, it's uh, <laughs> it's going to get it's going to get real very fast. So, Chris, thank you for making the time to come on the show. Of course. If the listeners wanted to find you on the Internet or if you have any work that you'd like to promote, could you tell them where they could do so? Sure. So my Star Wars um, very messy, more popular page is at Leia Rebellion. And my like professional, I try to mostly just post about my writing or writing in general pages at um, Literature Pris on Twitter. Or um, if you want to find the majority of my articles, um, they are on fanaticmedia.org. I mostly write about geeky stuff especially star wars um and i love book reviews so you can find me on around all of those yes and i will make sure to post the links to the your work and social media in the episode description listeners go check out pris's writing uh, her social media is very fun and engaging and uh I'm a <laughs> it's goof. a good time it's yeah a good, and check need. out the other guys on fanatic media too um we've got a lot of guys who write and 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 girls but a, a lot of guys because you know you know how it be um and they write really cool articles about really great things um and overall uh we've got a great team so yeah and listen to the rest of this season. Yes. <laughs> Please do. I <laughs> I can't recommend uh, your work and I guess your your presence online enough. Um, and also, you know, I, I've read 
read articles on you know what's new in Jakku. I know Ian's on there, and uh, it's a great team that you guys have over there. And uh, I'm excited to see it continue to grow and to see the the work that continues to get published out there. It's really great stuff. And I'm sure that the listeners will also enjoy uh, enjoy what you do. But thank you so much for coming on the show and talking some Master and Apprentice. This was a really thank great conversation. You. Yeah, it was super fun. And before we close up today, I'll give our discussion question for these chapters. Qui-Gon admitted to keeping Obi-Wan studying the lightsaber basics because he felt that would ensure his apprentice would be untouchable. Do you think that strategy paid off? Talk about some examples that support or refute Qui-Gon's strategy. And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so if you head over to patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. And if you want t-shirts, sweatshirts, and exclusive Palpatine stickers, you can find us at teespring.com slash stores slash Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 33. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Have a chat with Qui-Gon about his souvenirs from his missions. I hear he likes to collect pebbles.